0: the CEO of Finance of America Companies. During the episode, Koch discusses her career and how the industry has changed over the decades, especially for women. She also talks about one of her most notable accomplishments, taking her company public. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, I'm Brenna Nath, H2B Plus Managing Editor here at HousingWire. I couldn't be more thrilled to continue our Women of Influence podcast miniseries, where we've been spotlighting the women of influence in our industry and just catching up on what they've been doing and some of their accomplishments over the last year, and even what the year ahead looks like. So, first off, I wanted to welcome Patty Cook, who is the CEO of Finance of America Companies, to the podcast. So, welcome, Patty. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. I know during this podcast episode, we're going to jump into your journey to being a CEO, female leadership, and so much more, but I always like to kickstart by reading a little bit of your profile for the women of influence award programs. It's also on the website. I think it just does a great job kind of summing up everything that you've done in uh, your career. Just a small few sentences. I would say sum up. There's so much here to unpack, but a quick boilerplate so people understand just kind of um, some of the things that you've accomplished. So I'll go ahead and read that real fast. Patty Cook is a pioneer in financial services since her earliest days in the industry. She constantly displays grit and a knack for pivoting successfully to seize new opportunities. As CEO of Finance of America Companies, Cook has helped build and scale the company's diversified lending platform, which offers consumers a comprehensive suite of financial solutions aimed at meeting their needs at each phase of their financial lives. Upon earning her MBA at New York University, Cook joined Salomon Brothers in 1979 as one of the very few female MBAs on Wall Street in that area. And over the course of her career, she has held executive roles at numerous companies, including Prudential, JP Morgan, and Freddie Mac. I know there's so much more there, but I know it wraps up kind of saying you joined Finance of America Companies in 2016. And I'm sure a lot from there will kind of get into during this podcast episode. So I wanted to share that. Thank you. So starting off, I like to kind of start with that foundation question, which is, how did you get started in the industry? I know I shared a little bit in that paragraph, but there's so much more there to unpack. And how has gender equity evolved in that time?
1: So if you go one step before my MBA, I was an elementary education major as an undergrad. So I got out of college, taught for a little while, decided I wanted to do something different and made a huge pivot into finance and got my MBA. And as you mentioned in your summary, there were very few women that had MBAs at the time. So to be honest, getting hired by one of the large Wall Street firms probably wasn't that hard, but nonetheless, I was lucky to secure a position at Solomon Brothers. And it was just a fascinating decade to be there. The amount of innovation that was occurring in the financial markets was breathtaking. Uh, You know, it was in the news every day. The innovation mortgages, as we know them today, didn't really exist in 1980. So watching that evolution was tremendous for me. I didn't start out saying I wanted to be in the mortgage market. I hardly I, I, I knew I wanted to try finance. It was only over time that the innovation, the complexity of the product was attractive to me. And I started out as a strategist talking about how to invest in mortgages. Then I invested in mortgages and ultimately moved to what I'll say is the operational side of it. But one thing on sort of gender equity during that time period, I'll give you a quick anecdote, it was 1983, I'd been at Solomon four years and I was having my first child. So I went to tell my boss that I was pregnant and he said to me, oh my gosh, I don't even know if we have a maternity leave policy. And then I went on to have three children in less than five years. And it was a bit of a joke, if you will, at at Solomon Brothers that I held the record for the woman that had taken the most maternity leaks. And I still see my boss at the time occasionally. He thinks I might still hold the record. So, I mean, at the time, women in this business were very, very, it was unusual. Yet it, they were supportive. It's not to suggest that they didn't want women there. They just never had them before and needed to figure out how to deal with the new issues that were coming up by having women in your workforce. So huge pivot for me from elementary education to finance, to mortgage, Um, and it's been over four decades.
0: I appreciate you sharing that personal antidote. I just was talking to a branch manager and she gave that exact analogy that when she got into the industry, um, she went to tell her boss that she was pregnant and she, and they, they received it well, but she was so nervous going into it. Cause she just, she was kind of, to your point, kind of paving the way and wasn't sure what they would say. And I think those personal anecdotes, I think are so important to share. So appreciate you sharing that story. Sure. So tell us about, I mean, I think that's just one example of some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome during your career. How have these obstacles informed your leadership style? And if so, how have they? And just maybe even unpack a little bit more of some of those obstacles.
1: So looking back on it, I think the biggest obstacle was our culture. And by that, I mean, up until that point, working women, working mothers were a little bit unusual. So let's start there. When I look at my friends from college, and as we all made choices, some women to stay home, some women to maybe work part-time if they could, and others to work full-time, they were polarizing decisions. We were each pretty defensive about the choice that we took, right? I was feeling guilty that I was going to be a working mom and I wasn't staying home with my children. And yet my friends that had invested in their own career that chose to stay home were feeling badly of like, what did they give up too early? Were they, why were they not pursuing their career? So when you think about it, I think the biggest obstacle. The thing that was the most uncomfortable was the cultural change that was going on. And the result being women themselves weren't always that supportive of each other. That is totally different today, right? Not only are women more supportive of each other, right? I think we applaud the choices our peers make, right? And we want to be supportive of whatever choice they make, whether to be an at home mom, whether to work part-time or to work full-time. For me now, I love mentoring women about that choice, right? There is no right. There's not one answer. The answer is what's the best for you personally, your immediate family, your extended family. And then I love being in a position to be able to, at this point, lead a company to provide enough flexibility so that women can have those choices. And look, this isn't just about women. The definition of our nuclear families changed, right? Maybe there are more at-home dads that there certainly were in the 80s and they too need that flexibility. So I think looking back at the cultural change, companies need to change with it and provide the appropriate amount of flexibility so that people can manage those choices and everybody's is going to be a little different.
0: That's been a a side. What I love about these interviews is you get to hear stories like yours and you are you know, a leader at famous America companies. And it's amazing to see to your point, like how that narrative has changed over the years. And I've been honored to listen to stories like yours of mentorship. Like that's how you kind of pave the way for the next generation. So um, it's great to hear the importance of mentorship um, and, you know, both sides, males and females. One thing that I was able to spotlight, I oversee the Women of Influence profiles here, put them in our magazine, and we spotlighted a number of women um, at, at the company in our Women of Influence profiles. Now, there's even more women in leadership roles at Finance of America. Can you tell us more about the culture of opportunity and advancement that you've looked to create, and how has that impacted job satisfaction, and maybe more even on top of that, tenure over time?
1: Yes. So. First of all, I think when I look at Finance of America, the variability in the types of jobs we offer has been helpful in attracting women. Because right from the beginning, there are definitely some jobs that are, I'm going to use the word, more time consuming than others. So I think we offered from the beginning a a fair amount of choice. The other thing that I think people need to realize is you know, it's in our best interest to be flexible and work with our employees over time so that they stay with us, right? Companies invest, if they're doing it right, a lot in their employees. They're training them, they're promoting them, and you don't want to lose that investment. So, doing right by your employees is also doing right for the company. Right, it's a virtuous cycle. It's not like we're doing everybody a favor, not that we wouldn't, but do you see what I mean? There's a, it works for both parties. There's no question that as employees and women in particular face new challenges, our ability to be flexible has provided them an opportunity to stay here longer Therefore, their tenure, I think, is probably longer than many of our peer group. And therefore, where they have the opportunity to advance, you know, COVID was a great example for us. We're distributed anyway. We offer a lot of flexibility. So when COVID came, we pivoted quickly. As we look at everybody's big discussion, what's going to be your policy post-COVID? Are you going to require people to go to the office? I'm like, no, we're gonna go back to our policy pre-COVID, which was to give flexibility. So I'm, I'm proud of the commitment we've made to investing in our uh, employees and our women in particular over time so that they can stay and have a long-term career. One last comment on that. If you look at mine, it was a marathon, not a sprint. I never would have achieved and never thought I would the spot that I had today, but I just kept going, right? And the ability to keep going is really ultimately what propels women to, let's call it, leadership roles.
0: And speaking of that marathon, not a sprint, throughout this conversation, we've kind of touched on some of the things you've done in your career. Um, I know sometimes this is a big question. I'm sure there's multiple things that you could list here, but what are you most proud of in your career and what advice would you give to other women who are looking to rise into some leadership positions in the mortgage industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly from a career perspective, being the CEO of a company, a financial services company that I was able to take public is just incredible. Right. I kind of like, I even still kind of get goosebumps when I say it. Like, who knew? Right. Never thought I would get there. But at the same time, equally as important to me, I have three grown daughters, five grandchildren, and they are the light of my life. So if you just stop there and say, like, wow, I'm so proud of being able to have accomplished so much professionally and so much personally. And I think now, I mentioned this already, but I have the opportunity at Finance of America to ensure that the things that enabled me to get here are in place for future generations. And hopefully to be, you know, to continue to be perceived as a leader in someone that's sort of forging those policies. So, and I guess the one other bit of advice along with something that I'm proud of is this notion of marathon, not a sprint. And I used to say to people, you know, it's like a report card. But when you're trying to do multiple roles, you can't necessarily get straight A's all the time. And the thing that you need to do is you need to take take a step back and take stock of how you're doing overall. How How's your role as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, as a professional, and look at it and say, am I happy with the whole package, right? Do I give myself an A as to how I'm moving that whole universe of things forward? And I think that perspective uh, is really helpful.
0: I always enjoy being able to receive some of that advice to being someone who's still early on in her career. um, I will receive that advice. It's such a good piece to leave listeners with. Now, most of these podcast interviews, I like to end with like the same question, especially from our leaders in the industry. And that's, you know, to wrap, what do you think it would take to get more women and more diversity into the industry? And From your perspective, why is this important?
1: So I think the how starts with equitable hiring policies. So I think you have to look hard at how you search, how you hire, how you portray yourself in the industry so that you are attracting a diverse population to your company, I think in addition to doing that, once people arrive, you need to be supportive. Like it's one thing to say, okay, I'm gonna hire X percent of my workforce is gonna be in the following diversity categories. But if once everybody gets there, you are not supportive of them, uh, then they're unlikely to be successful and that hiring will not have proved to be useful. And you know, in our industry, not only is it the right thing to keep people there for a long time, but if you look at mortgage or even consumer borrowers overall, they're diverse, men, women, their their ethnicity is diverse, their race is diverse. We need to mirror that population, right? And if you look at the mortgage industry, historically, it's been dominated by white males. Well, our current borrower is very different than that so ensuring that we have a employee base that mirrors the customers we're facing off against are going to make us better at what we do we'll understand them better we need to be in the locations where they live so i think getting more a more diverse population starts with your hiring practices it is very much a function of what you do to support them. And it's really important for our business that we do that so that we continue to provide good service and good products for the customers we're seeking.
0: It's really that other side of the hiring, it's also retention, tenure, which you were talking about earlier in another answer. It's hiring them and also retaining them and ensuring they're successful.
1: 100% true.
0: Well, I know we covered so many things in this podcast, Patty. We went everything from your your journey into this industry, gender equity, how that's involved, the challenges, the obstacle, and always wanted to just say thank you for your time and just sharing sharing the stories of the changes in the industry and where we're headed. So, thank you so much for joining me today,
1: Patty. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed it.
0: On September 27th and 28th at the Omni Hotel in Frisco, Texas, HousingWire will host its second annual event, which will be in person for the first time. HousingWire Annual offers each guest the opportunity to gather with top industry professionals for exclusive content, technology demonstrations, and unbeatable networking. Find out more by going to the Events tab on the HousingWire site. You won't want to miss out on this event, so register by September 20th. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.